So this uh, season of pandemic has had uh, various responses out of various people. Uh, and I know a good number, maybe even in this room, but I know within our congregation have uh, um, had recent experiences of flying across the country. Now, the, the things that I typically fly to every year uh, were canceled because of the pandemic, and so I have not been on a plane for over a year. Um, but it got me to thinking about the, the flying experience. It, it, it is rather interesting. All of us in our individual homes will make a, a reservation. We don't know who else is signing up to be on that same plane, but we show up at the airport, we go through security, we trust that security is doing its job. We get to the gate and we all follow the rules. We divide up into our various groups and we make our way onto the plane and we strap ourselves in. And all of us collectively, in that metal tube, all of us collectively have faith that that plane is going to go from point A to point B safely. We're trusting. We're trusting uh, the people who built the planes. We're trusting the engineers who designed uh, how many rivets would be needed and, and how much stress and strain would take place on the plane. We're, we're trusting that the flight attendants will keep us all uh, safe as we travel. We're trusting that the pilots know what they're doing and can actually get to point B. You know, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon that um, those times when the plane lands and people applaud, it usually happens because somewhere on the uh, journey, we seem to have lost faith that the turbulence kicks in, and what we thought was going to be just this thing that we could trust, we're going to get there, there's no question, I'll buy my ticket, I'm going to get in, I'm all in, and then the turbulence happens. And, and we get all anxious and concerned, and when the plane finally lands, we celebrate. It's not like we had a choice. We couldn't just say, you know, it's getting a little bumpy. I'd like to get off. It's not a choice, and so when we get there, we we're so glad that we arrived. Together as a people on a plane, we have shared faith. That's what I want to talk about this morning. It's what I want us to take a look at. What does it mean as God's people to have shared faith? As we enter our time, uh, since faith is so central, so essential to the Christian experience, um, I, I wanted to just highlight a couple of points that will lead into our text. So before we get to our text, let's just affirm some things that are taught in Scripture about faith. We're going to affirm two things. First, that faith is both a gift and a response, both a gift and a response. And then secondly, that faith establishes a community. Faith establishes a community. So first, faith is both gift and response. We're used to things, one thing, having two very different actions, acting in two very different ways. For instance, light. Light is both particle and wave. In fact, all of matter, according to quantum uh, uh, physics, that all of matter is both particle and wave. We see this action. We know what is true from quantum physics is also true about waffles. Waffles are really good for breakfast, and they're outstanding for dessert. In fact, one could even make the case that waffles go beyond just being good for two things. They can be good for lunch and dinner and snacks as well. And then you have puppies. I mentioned last week, we got a puppy. And 
be at peace. I'm not going to mention puppies every week, just probably most weeks. Um, Puppies have this way, a single item, a single puppy can be both cute and cuddly and total monsters. Total monsters. Oh my gosh. Uh, It's as though Whitby, that's the name of our little puppy, goes, you know, what can I do to tax the, uh, the sleeping patterns of my new owners? How can I bite their hands, their clothes, their pants in such a way to where I just send them up the wall? One item, two very different actions. Well, it seems that faith falls into this category as well. That one item, faith, can be both gift and response. Gift and response. When we look at a passage like uh, uh, Ephesians 2.8, It reads, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So faith, that we're saved by grace through faith, and even faith is not our own doing, it is the gift of God. God moves first, God chooses, God predestines, God acts. Not one of us can make our way to God without God doing something first. If we had the ability to seek out God without God's intervention, Jesus wouldn't need to die. But God moves. God gives the gift of faith. And yet faith is also a response. So if we were to take a look at a verse like Romans 10, verse 9, it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That if you believe, if you have faith, if you trust that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, then you will be saved. So faith is a gift and a response. So that leads us into the second point. Faith establishes a community. You know, during this pandemic, we've also found that there have been some folks who've been very comfortable at dining out, going and gathering in restaurants, and others... Uh, uh, for their own reasons, then would choose only to do drive-through. To not dine in, but to do just to drive-through. Well, it seems like that can also be a way that some of us might uh, uh, describe our Christian experience. There are some people who have a dine-in experience of Christianity, and other people think that there's just, it's a drive-through. And when you think of dining, think of one of those old traditional Italian places where you go in and, and it's like you enter a community, right? You dine in and, and, and the, the waiter and the waitress, they, they make a, a connection with you and there's some family over there celebrating a birthday and maybe someone's celebrating uh, 25 years of marriage or someone on a first date or someone at the counter there as an individual uh, having conversation with others. And, and there's a sense of community. And there's this, um, there's this calling of God's people that, that we're a people together, that God establishes a community. That it's not just drive-through where I go in and get what I want and then leave, and I'll come back and get what I want again the next time, and, and that it's all about getting what I want. When, I don't ha- when they don't have what I want, I won't drive through. Um, we find in a passage like 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, that, that God calls us together. He forms us as a people, that we're, uh, we're a royal priesthood, 
We were once not a people, but now we are a people. We are a community. We have shared identity. We are a people belonging to God. Which means then that faith is the people's response. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the individual response doesn't matter. It totally matters. But it's not only the individual response to God that matters. When God looks upon this world, when God looks upon the church in this world, he looks upon the church. Yes, he looks to each individual, but then he also looks to Northminster. Or he looks to our denomination. He, he, he looks to all the churches in Peoria. He looks to all the churches in whatever country we mention. We are a gathered people. We are a collected people. Faith is God's gift that establishes his people, and faith is the people's response to God and his gracious love. So we can speak of a shared faith, a shared faith that has a common origin and a common response. So in what we'll do with our time this morning is I just simply want us to look at some dynamics of shared faith, some dynamics of shared faith, and we're going to look at it through the lens of the story that has the people of God at the edge of the Red Sea. So we'll look at the story of the parting of the Red Sea, and we'll observe some of these dynamics of shared faith. So first to the story itself, and we won't go all the way back to creation. We'll, we'll go ahead and start when the people cry out to God in the book of Exodus. They have been enslaved. They've been in servitude to, for, to, to Pharaoh for a number of centuries. And, and they call out to God and they say, God, uh, save us. Save us. This is not a good place for us to be. And so God chooses to deliver them. And, and he sends Moses. And, and God works in a way. He, he provides these ten plagues, these, these awesome works of his power. He shows himself for who he is as the God over all things. And he works in such a fashion that when the people of God, the Israelites leave Egypt, that they could actually plunder the Egyptians. That, that the way it describes it, it says that the women went to the other homes, and, which is a way of saying this was not a human arm-twisting experience, but God had moved and the Egyptians were giving them gold. And so then the Israelites leave Egypt. And they make their way out. God tells them, I don't want you to go the direct route because you're going to have to fight a battle then. I don't want you, you're not ready. I don't want you to do that. Instead, I'm going to take you the long way. In fact, the text even says that they had to turn back at one spot and God had them camp on the shores of the Red Sea. Now, we don't know the exact place. We don't know the, uh, um, uh, it, it, the, the layout of the journey that they were on. Um, but we know that they're at the edge of the Red Sea. And they're positioned between destruction because Pharaoh ends up having regrets over letting them go. And so he comes chasing after them with his army, world-class army for the time. And so on one, one side, the Israelites had destruction at the hands of the Egyptian army, and at the other side, they had drowning in the Red Sea. And this is the place that we find them in which opens the opportunity for us to look at the dynamics of shared faith in a situation that functions like a crucible, like a place where we can really test the boundaries and the nature of this shared faith. And here's our first dynamic. There's a dynamic in that shared faith remains connected to its past. Shared faith remains connected to its past. If we look at verse 19 in chapter 13, 
we read, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones uh, with you from here. There's so much to this story here. Moses choosing to take the bones of Joseph. We know that now this is the, in fact, when Moses had asked God, what is your name? And, and God goes, it's Yahweh, and, and, and that I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Joseph being the son of Jacob. And so we've got this connection to the past. It's a shared faith going back over the years. And so when, when we know it's a, a multi-generational faith that we shared a, a, across past years, well, then we, we can look back and we've seen how God has acted in the past. Since we share in the faith that people had centuries, thousands of years ago, we look at how God acted in the past and we can learn about how God might act today. We, we look at how people acted in response to God, both when they acted well and when they acted poorly. And we can learn from their experience. We look at God's eternal words, words that he spoke long ago, because they are relevant and, and have importance for today. And we look at people's understanding so that we never only look at God's word through the lens of our own contemporary environment. And we look at Augustine, or we look at the, the, the Wesleys, or we, we look at different voices over the history so that we can look at when it was said well and when it wasn't said well. It's a shared faith. Our shared faith is that we're connected to our past. And so what's our response to that? Our response then is to know the story and to know the teachings. Since we're not just here and now, it's not just a drive-through where I get what I want, but a dine-in. We dine in with people from past centuries. We want to know the, the storyline, that we would know the storyline so well we could tell it in any situation. And we know the teachings because those teachings, they were not just important in the day that they were spoken, but they, were, they are important today as well. All right, that's dynamic number one. Now, dynamic number two, shared faith has a major weakness. Shared faith has a major weakness, and that weakness is mob rule. This, uh, we can look at uh, Exodus 14, uh, beginning in verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near... The people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Mob rule. You know, there's actually an official name for mob rule. Ocalocracy. Ocalocracy. It means government by the majority for the majority. It's the, the power of the majority simply being used for the majority alone. Ocalocracy. There's a related Latin phrase connected to this. The Latin phrase is mobile vulgus, mobile vulgus. That's actually where we get our word mob, is from that word mobile. Mobile vulgus, which means the fickle crowd. People who research such things as mob rule, they say that there are these streams that seem to play into the dynamics 
of mob rule. One of them is de-individuation. A common word, I'm sure you've used it multiple times this past week. It simply means that, that you have this sense of, I'm no longer just an individual. And with that, I let go of my individual responsibility. And we assume that the crowd, the mob, owns the responsibility together. De-individuation. There's also convergence. That we come together in the mob, and whatever feeling or thought I had, because everyone else has it, it intensifies And I'm willing to do actions that I wasn't willing to do by myself, but with the intensification of our feelings and our thoughts, we'll act together. A third stream of thought says that in a mob experience, there there emerges a new norm, a a new set of accepted behaviors and thoughts. So you put that together, that, that in the mob rule, you have loss of responsibility, you have intensification of positions, and you have an acceptance of new norms. Well, God's people run into this time and time again. We we see it in Scripture. They lose focus on the thing that is most important. If you have a digital camera, you might have, and if you've actually read through the manual, that thick manual that very few people actually read through, there's this function on a lot of digital cameras where if you touch the monitor, the lens will actually focus on the place that you've touched. And it seems that a lot of us in our Christian experience like touching the monitor and focusing on whatever grabs our attention. It turns out, though, that in creation, in this experience that God has for us, that there is one place where the focus is always supposed to remain. That it's not intended that we would just focus on whatever we want to focus on, but that there would be one thing that God's people, their shared experience, their shared faith would always focus on. It happens to be mentioned in our text. We find it in Exodus 14. It's actually repeated. And we know that whenever something's repeated in Scripture, God's really bringing our attention to it. In both verse 4 and then down in verse 17 and 18, we find these words. And I, God says, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and they shall know that I am the Lord. God created this universe for his own glory. That is the focus of God's people, always. And so when when there's this mob experience, someone says, I want to focus over here instead. And then a few other people go, me too, me too. And we begin to center around this new focus, and we give up on the glory of God, and we go, listen, I want to glory on this other thing and not on God. We're called to live a life solely focused on God getting the glory. Maybe you've seen this and experienced this before, but churches in our own age are notorious for focusing on other things, for having mobs rise up and cause disunity. We form mobs around music styles and building use and budget concerns and pastors and pandemic protocols. And all of a sudden, one voice talks to another voice, another voice. Instead of it being, how do we do this in a way that honors God and is constructive and and seeks the well-being of the shared community, it all of a sudden becomes this voice of, I want what I want. So how do we respond to this? If we know this dynamic is, is in existence, how do we respond? Well, ours is simply to see. See it. 
and resist the temptation. Recognize mob tendencies. That de-individuation, the convergence, the, the emergence of new norms. Recognize these things. Be aware of the tendencies. And then with courage and humility that we would step forward and reconnect as the shared community, the, the shared community of faith. Dynamic number three. Dynamic number three. Shared faith requires called leaders. Shared faith requires called leaders. If we look at uh, Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14, we find, it says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians... Um, whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. By the way, this word, you only have to be silent. Some translations, you only have to be still. This is not a quiet word. This is word, you just need to shut up. You just need to stifle. You need to cease from speaking. And the leader steps forward and says, God will fight for you. And he refocuses the shared faith on that which it was intended to focus on from the beginning, the glory of God. We know that in the New Testament, it talks about the very same things. So in a place like Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, I think through 13, it talks about that God gave some to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to build up the body, that all of them together would then work out the ministries of God's people in this world until we all attain uh, maturity and full personhood. You get it, everybody's valuable. Don't, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us all of us are valuable in the body of Christ. So it's not a question of value, only that God sets some aside to be leaders. We know this is true in our own denomination. In our constitution, we find these words. It says in our constitution, uh, it says, it is incumbent upon all members of the body of Christ to participate in the work of building up uh, one another in Christ and be deployed for his work in this world. God calls some individuals to exercise specific formal leadership. The church should strive to develop strong leaders. We recognize the importance of ordained and lay leadership at every level. We know that leaders can make mistakes. Leaders can be misguided. There are places in scripture that talks about how to hold leaders accountable. The difference though is that we're on, it's a picture of being on mission together. It's not the drive-through where we just each do our own thing. We're on mission together. That's what it is to have shared faith. So here's our response to it. We recognize God's called leaders. And we submit to their authority. Yes, in our polity, we have ways of holding leaders accountable. Absolutely. But God provides apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And God calls us to listen and pay attention to their leadership. All right, the final dy dynamic we'll take a look at. Shared faith unites around God's steadfast love. Shared faith unites around God's steadfast love. This is at the end of 14. It says in verse 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. You know, there's this passage in 1 John. 
1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the sacrifice on our behalf. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Do you get that? It's not individual. We're collected around God's love, intended for love. The people had experienced God's provision, his examples of his steadfast love being worked out through his power. In fact, if we were to list them quickly, we can find them. These are just the examples, the presence and guidance of God with them, that there was this this, uh, pillar of, of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night, God's presence with them, guiding them. God gives us his spirit to be with us and to guide us. There was God... Uh, providing protection that that same angel of the Lord in the pillar went on the other side of the Israelites and stood between them and the destructive force of the Egyptian army. God protects their salvation. It was Moses that stretched out his arms, but it was God that parted the sea, that held the waters back. God provides a way, a way of salvation. God fights for us. Do you know that in 14, uh, Exodus 14, verse 25, it's the Egyptians who even say, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them. God fights for you, for us together as his people. God's provision of victory. God's provision of victory that they made it through on dry ground and they were victorious over their enemies. So our response to this dynamic is that we would pursue unity We would pursue unity around God's steadfast love all the time. It's the very thing that Jesus prayed for in John 17, that we would be one, that we would know the love of God together. All right, so let's land this plane. You know, unlike a passenger jet, not one of us can be passive. We're not just passengers in this great journey that God has us on. In fact, we have to re-envision the whole plane situation and picture it full of bicycle seats with pedals as though the whole journey is dependent upon all of us doing our part along with the pilots and the, and the flight attendants and the maintenance crew, but all of us are chipping in because we're that shared community. In other words, we're in this together. And by God's description, we're actually better together. We're the people of God together. And so shared faith matters. It comes to us from this common origin. And it calls us to have a common response together. Let's share in this faith as the people of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful that you are a God who calls us together as a people. You know the degree to which each one of us has turned Christianity into a drive-through experience. God, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us? Would you give us eyes to see uh, hearts that are willing, bodies that will put the effort in, that we would build those bridges, that that we would pay attention to the dynamics of of what it is to have a shared faith. That God, that as you look upon Northminster, 
you wouldn't see a bunch of individuals, but you would see a people focused on your glory together. We give you praise. We give you praise on this day and all the days to come. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for being here in this room. Thanks uh, for tuning in online. Uh, thanks for being the people of God together. If you have any questions about anything we talked about today, we've got life groups that we'd love to invite you into or youth groups if you want to uh, ask those questions there too. Feel free to reach out to me directly either through my email or my, my cell number and, and I'd love to follow up with you. We do want you to know that you are loved. Loved by God, loved by this community, loved by me. We, um, we get to represent that love to each other. Let's go into this world and represent that same love to everyone we meet. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.